You are listening to Geekish Cast, an Astro Panda Production Network's podcast. Cast episode 161 Standard Comics Rebirth. Hey everybody, it's Jeremy. I'm uh, sitting here getting ready to talk to Roy Johnson from Standard Comics. This is going to be a little bit different for me because I normally do a lot of research into people's projects before I have them on. This is one that caught me visually without any real any real idea of what he was shooting for. So we're actually going to go into this blind together and Roy is going to get us caught up. So we're going to take a break real quick, hear an ad from a sponsor, come back, and I'll introduce Roy, and we'll talk about his uh, journey into comic books and his standard comics project. So we'll be right back. All right, guys, thanks for hanging in. Again, this is Jeremy, and I'm sitting here with Ollie the Greyhound, and we are getting ready to talk to Roy Johnson from Standard Comics. How you doing, Roy? Not too bad, Jeremy. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for asking, and thank you for taking the time to be here. Um, one of the things that struck me when flipping through your project was, without looking exactly like it, it had kind of an early 80s feel to the comic books. Let me ask real quick, what point did you first get into comic books, and what were some of the comic books that caught your interest? Well, uh, I was born in 69, so I grew up on the, sort of the Bronze Age stuff in the 70s and early 80s and uh, Silver Age reprints and stuff like that. So at the time, I probably would have self-identified as a DC fan, although if you look at the boxes of comics I've got, it's probably 50-50 between Marvel and, and DC. So that was kind of the era that I was getting into it, and... Probably by the mid-80s, I was just sort of getting out of it, heading off to uh, university and um, a lot of time for comics. Gotcha. But if I were to take a guess, you were probably a Teen Titans fan, huh? Oh, yeah. 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 Mark Wolfman, George Perez. Yeah. Team books. JLA, yeah. Avengers, that sort of thing. Probably around Batman. for part, part of uh, Crisis on Infinite Earths, I would guess as well. Yeah, yeah, that was towards the tail end of things. Yep, indeed. So let's let's start with this. Um, I read a little bit on your website, which is available at standard-comics.com. What you're shooting for is a family-friendly book that kids and their parents can read, but not retro. Yet you're kind of coming up from the idea where almost from the idea that standard comics still exist, the original standard comics from the 40s still exist now, this is how they would be doing it. So give me an idea, what was kind of the conceit or idea behind your comic book universe? How did you first start down that path? Well, uh, it's kind of as you say, I guess. Um, I collected comics as a kid and sort of drifted in and out of it. I'd uh, started to get into commissioning original comic art and noticed that a few people had sort of a thematic unity to their their gallery of work. So I was kind of poking around for an idea, and I thought, well, there's DC, there's Marvel. What if all these 
characters that sort of disappeared in the 1940s that actually continued being published and just kind of looked around at uh, various publishers. And I think Standard Comics was one of the few uh, from the 40s that lasted until the mid-1950s that actually had anything like a real logo or uh, masthead design, mm. which was a flag with Standard Comics being uh, the standard bearer as opposed to um, average, I guess. And I just sort of started from the position of, well, I'm going to take public domain characters and I'll forget about what companies they really came from. And I'll sort of come up with maybe some fake covers featuring these characters and just assume that they were all under the banner of standard comics throughout the years. So commissioning these works eventually got into uh, fake covers. And then I had the idea, well... There was the Justice League, there was the Avengers. I'm sure Standard Comics would have had somebody. So I came up with uh, a group of five heroes uh, called the Sentinels and created a villain, Cyberilla, who was a cybernetic gorilla, obviously. And that's kind of where that started. And it sort of progressed and... At various points, I'd post a cover online somewhere and get comments to the effect of, well, I wish this was a real comic, as did I, and eventually that got the idea of, of actually doing a comic. i, I got to start with this question, then. Since you were using some characters that existed in the public domain from the past, who were some of the standout characters that you looked at and you said, oh, i got to use that guy? Well, funnily enough, I, I can't remember exactly how I stumbled onto this one character, I'd didn't actually use in the Sentinels, but he was called the Grim Reaper. And in my mind, was a bit of a combination of the sort of Batman type of character and Captain America type of character, where he has no superpowers. But Batman, for example, will use fear as a weapon. Captain America fought on the front lines in World War II. And this character, who actually was published by Standard Comics, was a bit of a combination of those two. Uh, so he used terror to fight the Nazis and fought on the front lines. So for some reason, I thought he was very cool, and I sort of gravitated to various commissions with him. In setting up the Sentinels comic, I kind of approached it a bit systematically, where I looked at the original roster of the Justice League and the original roster of the Avengers and kind of figured out sort of what what kind of characters were, were sort of featured in these team books. Like you'd have a character like the Flash, for example, who only has the one power, right? And he runs really fast. And you've got sort of the inspirational leader type, the Superman or the Captain America. And basically through websites, I kind of whittled the, the ranks down to these five characters. Um, and each of them had a sort of a function of one was Nelvana of the Northern Lights, who was a Canadian uh, published hero who filled the, the role of sort of the demigod Thor type character and also Wonder Woman. Um, Hydro Man, who basically can turn into water. So he's sort of the one power, one trick pony. Uh, Man of Metal, who can basically turn into this sort of flaming metal, so he fulfilled the strongman type of role. There was a really obscure character whose costume design is 
insane. Um, his name's TNT Todd. He's kind of an interesting character because he started in the late 30s as uh, riding the crest of the popularity of uh, like the Untouchables, uh, the concept of the G-Man, you know, the FBI agent. Oh, and sure. The character, character was just like a sort of plain clothes FBI guy, but I think once superheroes started to take off in 39, uh, they sort of revamped him, put him in a fancy suit and gave him some powers. And the name TNT Todd being sort of similar to like Crash Kerrigan or, you know, Buck Rogers or Flash Gordon, that kind of thing. Gotcha. And so those were kind of the characters that that I sort of ran with in terms of being a team on the standard comics Sentinels team, right? So that's that's kind of where that started. And then as the commissions went along, I expanded the roster. Just anybody that really looked interesting with kind of the odd exception of not having the Black Terror or Daredevil, who are kind of, I think, from a costume design standpoint, are probably the most well-known of the public domain heroes. The Black Terror with the black costume with the skull and crossbones and the original Daredevil, just sort of red on one side, blue on the other, uh, that Marvel kind of co-opted the name once the trademark expired. And just sort of kept going in that vein and adding more characters as I went along and developing sort of an internally consistent history, sort of pretending again that this was an actual publishing company that survived, you know, the, the Wortham witch hunts of the 50s and progressed into the 60s and 70s until today. There's some interesting stuff to unpack there. Uh, first off, the Black Terror is a character that I think jumps out at everybody because AC Comics used him. Alan Moore used him, and if I'm not mistaken, he was also one of the emphasis behind um, the Punisher when he was first created. And I the, would imagine that was a visual, yeah, um, yeah. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Marvel or Timely Comics, whoever it was at the time, when they first created their Daredevil, they didn't even wait to see if the other guy had gone out of trademark yet. They just started using him. Oh, really? If I remember right, I'd, I'd have to double check it, but I think I remember hearing that about it. Um, and then I'm also kind of interested in your, when you were setting up your team, how you you set up, you know, like you're saying, you have your Captain America or Superman role, and then your demigod, and then this, because I've been kicking around the idea of trying to put together a team team for a while and trying to figure out, well, what do you what do you use as the basis? Do you go back to the Beatles and kind of base it personality-wise? I mean, you know, that, I, I think that's kind of interesting how you did your, your Sentinels group. I, I really like the sound of that. Thanks. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, so I noticed you also have some new characters that you mixed in as well. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about... Um, what you did bring in new characters or why you you know created certain characters to occupy this universe kind of again goes back to when i was a kid i was reading and collecting comics and as a lot of kids did i would make up my own heroes right mm -hmm. uh, drawing heroes and villains and, and whatnot and i think towards the end as the marvel handbook and dc who's who 
came out. You remember those? Absolutely. Um, that sort of formed a well. You know, you put the character on the page, you write their powers and their origin down, and so I'd started to sort of do that. And I think by the mid '80s, I probably had a binder of a two-inch binder of heroes, villains, maps, story ideas, blueprints. You know, essentially like a, an entire universe in a way. And that sort of got put away with everything else. I'd actually thrown it out prior to university, which was a silly move on my part. It's kind of the bigger, small regrets that I have. But um, as I started commissioning these pieces, I started to think, well, you know, I could I could maybe do a, a who's who type of a a thing just for my own amusement, right? So I'd, uh, as I'd been commissioning these fake covers, I'd typically provide a bit of a, uh, you know, a synopsis of the alleged contents of these fictitious books. So I'd kind of had little histories of the team and the team members develop over the years. So it wasn't a huge stretch to add and augment to those histories. And I basically commissioned various artists to come up with, you know, little shots of each of these characters. And I realized, well, it was also an opportunity to sort of introduce my own creations into the mix. So some of the characters are ones I created in the early 80s. Some of them are ones I created 10 years ago. Um, so... The combination of the fake covers with the fake synopses and the real art commissions kind of coalesced into the idea of, well, I could do a, a sort of a, I say a who's who, because I'm a, a DC guy, I suppose, for my handbook, but a who's who of a mix of these public domain characters and my own characters. So going through a number of talented artists and too many to list. Um, I originally started to just come up with the idea of, well, I'll do it digitally. I'll just do a digital thing and I'll post the pages. And then I realized, well, fundamentally, once you've got the digital files created and a standardized size and a structure, there's now all these print-on-demand capabilities out there where you don't need to have a, a press run of 5,000 copies. You can essentially do a vanity project for the cost of printing and shipping. So that became the idea of doing my own version of Uzu as a book that's available on Indie Planet. And I gave it the rather long-winded title of the Standard Comics Encyclopedia, abridged with the conceit that in real life there would have been a 12-issue series, but I was only doing one, so it was an abridged sort of best of. So I published that in October 2015, and um, it was a lot of fun, and it prompted a lot of people to say, well, okay, when are you, you going to do a, you know, a real comic, like a sequential story-type comic? And I kept going with you know regular commissions and actually got to the point of doing a second edition of that, which is also complete. And that's kind of how the encyclopedia happened. So now your encyclopedia, you've already finished and had, had released, correct? 
That's right. As you were doing it, people were coming to you asking for a complete comic. So you found people to be pretty receptive to this idea. Um, I want to talk a little bit. Now, was this the first thing you had published? Had you done a comic before this? What was your background before that? Uh, the encyclopedia was the first one that I that I published. I actually never made one even as a kid. Most kids will, you know, they'll write and draw their own thing. I think I'd started one at one point, but I had no idea what I was doing. So I was writing and drawing at the same time. Um, but that never came to fruition. So this was the first one that I'd published. How did you find the whole experience? What did you think of it? Well, um, it was a lot of fun because fundamentally it was just something that I thought was interesting. I knew that there were other people that thought it was interesting so it was a, a bit of a challenge from a standpoint of writing up a history for 20, 28 characters, I think, in the first one mm-hmm. uh, that was from comics that obviously did not exist. Um, so they all hang together, all the entries tie together. There's an actual sort of publishing timeline that uh, it all adheres to. Uh, there was references to all of the fictitious comic books, like the Sentinels issue 123 or what have you, for each of the characters. So it was a lot of fun in, in terms of connecting with artists. I had a couple of online friends write a couple of entries with me. And um, seeing it actually, you know, the cliche of printed it out and it's in your hand as an actual saddle-stitched, book was uh pretty cool yeah i know a lot of people on the first book they published they actually teared up and cried a little bit when they got it in their hands i've i've asked that question of quite a few people and that that has honestly been a response i've had at least five or six times yeah yeah i wouldn't say i'd go that far but it was pretty sweet uh it's a satisfying thing right because you go through the creative process of, of doing all that and then you've got a concrete you know, there's what you made right at the end of it, right? I want to talk a little bit about the history of the standard comics universe then. Obviously, you're dealing with something that does exist and yet also doesn't exist. It doesn't have a history yeah. past, like, what, 54, 55, right? That's right. But you gave it a history past that period. Um, when you're laying this out, do you did you actually plot a timeline and you're like, okay, this book would have landed here and here's what would have happened? How intricate did the plotting of the background of the books yet? Well, it's a bit difficult to answer that in a way because mm-hmm. it all fits together, but there wasn't necessarily a grand plan ahead of time. Sure. So what I actually did once I had, I don't know, say three or four fake covers or fake stories done was I'd um, created a spreadsheet and I put month, year, issue number, and at first I was just doing the Sentinels because a team book lets you put a bunch of people with different stories in it. And I basically just made a spreadsheet of the Sentinels, and then I added various titles to it. So when I come up with an idea for uh, any particular story, in my head I'd really just sort of go, is it Silver Age? Is it Bronze Age? Is it early 80s? So I'd pick one of those time periods, and I'd just pick the characters that are appropriate to that, plunk it in at random anywhere. So it may be March 1978. So I'd write up a little story for that, put it in the spreadsheet. Then it's just a matter of sort of tracking each subsequent one as it comes up. Early on, I think I had the idea that I would take a few of the characters from World War II 
and move them forward in time through a time travel story. But I just had the vaguest of notions of what that would be. But I did a cover, I think it was King Size Sentinels number two, where you had a handful of characters from World War II show up and, of course, fight the modern team. And subsequent to that, I think I had Bob Budiansky, who I think was uh, an artist on Ghost Rider for the most part. He actually penciled a interior page to a book, and I wrote out a little story of how this group of characters was selected. They show up, they do this thing, and then they get transported to the future. So that's actually a running a running bag or a running story throughout three or four uh, different issues. So it was essentially it was not any grand plan, but all I do is ensure that any new story fits into what already went before. But you do have a loose history that you can kind of work a framework from, let you know where things are. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's so, sort of been flexible through that spreadsheet. Now, since you were a comic book fan, and one thing all of us comic fans and Star Trek fans have in common is we love to nitpick details. Are you like that as well? Um, no? Maybe, I kind of maybe moved not. away from that. <laughs> well, the reason I ask that is I, I have to wonder, since you're creating a history for you know, characters that exist or a universe that existed that you extrapolated from, did you yep. do things in your histories to mirror time periods? I mean, when you hit the 80s, did you create the idea that there were a bunch of uh, universe spanning and uh, consequential crossovers, and then in the 90s, the dark and gloomy period come in? Did you do anything like that as you were laying out your backgrounds? Uh, actually, yeah. I think the, for the most part, um, it actually kind of started with my buddy Kevin Moorhead was helping me write the history for one of the the characters, a villain who ostensibly would have appeared first in the early 60s and would have appeared throughout the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, in my head, I've kind of cut the timeline off at the late 80s when I sort of stopped buying comics. Mm -hmm. um, but So he had written sort of a history of this character, um, Thonak, who's this uh, underground god or whatever, uh, written from and I guess you'd call it an in-universe perspective, so pretend that he's real. But it was written with an eye towards how, say, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee might change or modify the character of, say, Galactus over time, right? Like when I think when Galactus first appeared, he was a bit of a sort of a thug kind of a thing, and they sort of developed this cosmic... Um, history to him. So in this write-up, the character actually morphs from this sort of a big brutish fellow to a uh, sort of cosmic god through uh, some other stage. And I thought that that was an interesting perspective to actually have that change over time. And then from my own point of view, the stuff sort of in the 60s is all kind of standalone, single-story, one-and-done kind of perspective. Then the 70s is starting to be a little more interconnected, and I think in the Standard and standard Comics Encyclopedia 2, I make reference to a sort of big uh, cosmic event where the heroes all team up to deal with some problem in a six-issue uh, miniseries, so that's sort of paralleling the Secret Wars and the Crisis on Infinite Earths, 
stuff that was starting by the early 80s, which uh, Crisis was a fun title, but I think those kind of event multi-issue titles kind of set the industry onto an unfortunate path where it just became a never-ending attempt to up themselves every every year and then trying to get the readers to buy 50 issues to follow one story. But in and of themselves, they were such fun, I have to include that kind of uh, storytelling, right? I would I would mirror what you were saying there, kind of the event mentality that's been in place the last 35 years. I think you've seen that in all of fandom that has gone corporate. I mean, whether it's, you know, uh, schlocky sci-fi movies or comic books or, you know, even pro wrestling has become corporatized. Yeah, yeah it, it gets corporatized. And then, you know, suddenly it's, well, we were making more money than ever. Yeah, but you have 10% of the audience you used to have. So you've traded ringing every penny from these few people for having cultural impact that's spread across all the fandom. So, yep. so you're getting you're getting ready to go into a second Kickstarter project. What do you what do you got on the horizon for the standard comics universe at this point? So uh, this is actually the first Kickstarter. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you did it for the encyclopedia. Sorry about that. Nope. Uh, that was all out of pocket uh, for the fun of it. Um, so, as as I say. Uh, I'm posting on you know Facebook and, and Instagram and comic art fans and everything. So the idea came about obviously. Well, what's the next step? I'm sort of looking for a project, you know, outside of my actual job. Mm-hmm. And the thought of well, you know, a sequential comic book, a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end in one issue. So I'd, I'd written that a while ago. And a friend of mine is actually an editor uh, in general, not necessarily a comic editor. So she'd given it the once-over. And I'd hired a great artist, David Bednarski. And the idea would be to, to come up with this issue. So that's been ongoing for a little while, and it's all complete. It's gone through the, the proof stage. I've got proof copies, minor corrections to be made. And in order to sort of get it out there and develop some interest in it. I've tried to um, sort of advertise throughout Facebook and social media in general and set up a mailing list and so on. And the intent is to fund um, the production, printing, and shipping costs via a crowdfunding mechanism, in this case Kickstarter. And currently it's scheduled for October 17. And... The intent is to offer the book, offer as various rewards and combinations the first edition of the encyclopedia, second edition, which hasn't actually been released, a trade paperback that actually collects those first two volumes into one book, um, a making of the comic, so it's sort of the script and the artist's uh, layouts, thumbnails, sketches, 3D models, that sort of thing, and a few surprises and cool rewards. So the hope is obviously to fund the book, but in a larger sense, the intent would be to have this be successful and begin to sort of produce books on a regular basis, whatever that regular basis might be, quarterly or uh, twice a year, whatever it might be, to sort of have an actual standard comics universe of titles or of, of issues probably primarily focused on the Sentinel. You're going to kind of field that off the success of 
the Kickstarter or off of just reception in general? Well, I suppose it'd be both. Uh, the intent, hopefully, is to to have it successfully funded via Kickstarter. That would allow, um, obviously, to recoup some of the costs. Maybe if there's a profit, that can go into the preparation of the beginning of the preparation of the next book. Obviously, you can build upon the audience that you develop through Kickstarter, right? That so, would that would be ideal, I would imagine. Yeah, that yeah. would be the plan. Now, are you doing the writing on these? What's what's your actual involvement book by book going to be? Are you going to write them all? Or, uh, do you draw it all? I mean, what what actual creative side do you take besides just the creation? Well, I suppose uh, I wrote this one. The idea would be to uh, write the next one. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really draw so much anymore. I don't think I have the skill or patience for that, so I hire talented artists to do that. I I think my my view would be if, if you know we're a company with a lot of titles that I'd be sort of an editorial uh, type position with other people writing it. But uh, at this stage, I'm writing and uh, others are providing the art. Now, as somebody who's got an idea for a book, and I'm, I'm going to ask this because I've actually done entire episodes with people who've written a book and now need to find an artist. What were some of the avenues you used to find artistic, uh, well, to find people to actually fill in the art, coloring, letters, blah, blah, blah. How did you go about finding them, and what services did you use, if any? Well, um, actually, the first place that I ever, when I you know, first Googled uh, comic art was a site called Comic Art Fans. Dot com, where people who purchase uh, either commissioned work or original work can post their their work, and there's obviously uh, the artists that are associated with it. So I first began contacting artists through that website, and you basically can connect with other commissioners who you might know. Oh well, you know, John Smith, he's really good, but he takes a long time or Bob Jones he's not the greatest but he's really fast so you sort of learn the the uh, behind the scenes aspects of you know these are sort of reliable artists or go-to people and then it sort of expanded out to um, getting on Facebook and connecting with uh, various artists and also you know, this like deviantart.com so basically, just sort of see art that you like or art that I like, and I would uh, either contact the artist directly or contact someone who's commissioned them to get sort of their feedback on what the experience was like to know that this guy is, is good and receptive to ideas or, you know, what have you. So those were sort of the primary um, mechanisms, was mm-hmm. basically social media. Yeah, DeviantArt's a great place to uh, get a wide style of artists who can work on varying different projects and a lot of times get it to you pretty reasonably price-wise in a, in a short amount of time. Yeah. That, I've always liked that. Has that been your experience? Yeah. it. Uh, there's a there's a wide range in prices, and sometimes you do, you know, you get what you pay for. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not necessarily great or, or you know, you maybe you think you're paying too much or what have you, but for the most part, it's been a positive experience and you meet a lot of people uh, online anyway that that are supportive and it's uh it's been pretty fun okay 
Great. Well, let's do this real quick before we uh, have you plug all your all your links and everything. I'm going to ask you. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to mention a DC or Marvel character. You tell me who your nearest company equivalent would be within uh, your comic book. Okay. Sure. So I'm going to start with uh, what I consider to be the the granddaddy of all superheroes, Superman. Uh, Superman. That would be Optima, not the car. Um, so she, I take equivalent in that sense as being sort of the leader and the inspiration for the other characters. So she's kind of the leader of the Sentinels in the modern era and the one that everybody else would follow into battle. Okay. And well, let's, let's stay with that same kind of character. And do you have an equivalent to say a Captain America? I know we already covered it, but let's do it again. Uh, Captain America, I, um, made a fellow called the guardsman who's basically the patriotically clad fellow. Uh, in this case, it was his origins were in world war two towards the closing days. But while the U S and the USSR were still allies, there was a crashed UFO. They recovered some equipment. Um, one of the devices was implanted in this, uh, U S army volunteer guy and it enhanced all of his physical abilities and he sort of went on to become a covert ops guy and survives to the current day let's go with batman batman well there is no equivalent to batman no anywhere. equivalent That's, to batman no he's my favorite um that would be raven it's uh, another sort of special ops martial arts guy who grew disenfranchised with the job that he was doing so he absconded with some money from a drug dealer, arms dealer, and decided to go on a sort of a path of redemption. So that would be my equivalent to that. Okay. How about Spider-Man? Um, that's a good one. I don't really have a Spider-Man type character okay. being sort of a young hothead, but yeah, that's kind of what I was looking for is like a mouthy teenager. Um, yeah. How about, well, so your your Superman equivalent is a woman. So if you had a Wonder Woman equivalent, would it not be a woman? Do you have somebody else that's comparable to a Wonder Woman? Um, well, I guess the original comparable would be Nelvana of the Northern Lights, that Canadian uh, superhero. And, but I was thinking of, um, if you remember Kingdom Come, mm -hmm. which was a great series yeah, absolutely the way that wonder woman was portrayed in that the equivalent would be my ultraman character who's kind of a warrior but he wants peace above all so okay and a bit of a gender flip there no yeah, that works well it worked the other way for you so you might as well keep running with it yeah. do you have an equivalent to say a fantastic four and if not them specifically the thing maybe don't really have monster characters which is something i've got a I've got to fill in specifically, right? Like I would think so. I don't have a Fantastic Four, but I sort of have a X-Men Doom Patrol. If you recall, both those teams sort of debuted just a few months apart yep. in uh, in real life. So it's kind of, well, who inspired who and was the X-Men a ripoff of Doom Patrol? So I have one called the Freak Show, which is a group of sort of misfits who banded together to protect the humanity that rejects them. Okay. Well, that, that makes a certain amount of sense. How about something like the green lantern or the green lantern core? Lantern core. Mm. 
I don't really have an equivalent for that yet. All right. Well, then let's try this one. Do you have a favorite character in your universe? I'd probably say uh, Raven. Okay. Do you do you put all your Batman love into that character? Um, probably. I've got a, <laughs> a great artist, Mitch Ballard, that uh, really loves to to draw that character, and Batman is his favorite character as well. So there's ob- some obvious similarities there. Certainly. Uh, before I have you do your website and everything, you have a quote right on the front page of standard-comics.com from a Jorge Luis uh, Borges. Do you know it yep. off the top of your head? Do you care to share it with us? Um, something to do with writing long works is a laborious uh process and it's far easier to simply pretend that these works exist and then to write about them in a sort of a review i thought that was and, brilliant i really did i love the way that was summarized there yeah that was i kind of that was sort of my guide in terms of doing the the fake covers and the write-ups is like well these books don't exist but i can pretend that they do and i can write about them and that's slightly faster and cheaper than actually producing them but it's still it still creates a sort of an idea of, you know, comics from a parallel universe, right? Like you go to your, you go to your cousin or your uncle or your whoever's house and they've got this box of comics that you've like never heard of or seen before. And it's like, they're from some parallel universe and you, you, you know, you, you rifle through them and go, these are great. So there was DC and there was Marvel. And what if there was a, a third major North American superhero publisher. Yeah. And now there was, right? That's kind of cool. I had a dream one time. I don't know. Are you a horror guy at all? Horror movies? Uh, A little bit. Okay. So I had a dream one time. We were watching movies with a friend and he put on Friday the 13th part three. It was a completely different part three than I had ever seen. The dream itself was so vivid and his description of the next two movies in the franchise was so vivid. I am actually convinced I saw a parallel universe where the movies went in a different direction. And that kind of seems to me like what you're doing here with uh, standard comics. So I, I, I love it. I think it's cool. Your artwork is beautiful. I like the mix of characters you have. Um, are you having fun? I think is the most important question. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be doing it otherwise. I mean, I have a full time job, so I'm not necessarily looking for more work. I'm looking for more fun. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, and then, real quick on the on the creating a uh, an inspirational character like your uh, guardsman or whoever, were you tempted to create a Canadian equivalent of a Captain America at any point in there? I had a couple of old designs of a Canadian character, but not 100% happy with them, so Mm -hmm. I'll probably revisit them and try to improve them. And come back to it. That's awesome. As a, uh, uh, you know, an American from the States, I I do enjoy talking to people from Canada and visiting up there. I I love your country, (laughs) and at least it's cooler when I visit usually. Usually. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Roy, hey, thank you very much. If people want to check out more of Standard Comic stuff that you're working on, where can they find you? Where can they find your Kickstarter? Where can they find out more? So uh, the Kickstarter isn't up yet, but I've set up a URL, standard-comics.com slash forced labor, F-O-R-C-E-D-L-A-B-O-R, which is the name of the comic. And that URL will get updated with 
uh, a link to the Kickstarter preview. And then when the Kickstarter goes live, it'll redirect directly to the Kickstarter. Uh, probably the best, most common place to find me is on Facebook. And it's uh, setting the standard in comics. And um, that's probably the easiest. But all the links to social media are on standard-comics.com. Uh, there's links to Facebook and and DeviantArt and that sort of thing. Awesome. Roy, thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. You've been a lot of fun to chat with, and I am appreciating what you're doing with everything. All right, everybody, well, you can catch us at geekishcast.com. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekishcast. I tweet from at the geekishcast. You can find us on Instagram at the geekishcast, but it's usually just pictures of dogs, beer, and cosplay girls. So that's really up to you. Uh, guys, go check out Standard Comics. Roy's, uh, I, I really appreciate what he's doing. His comics seem like they're going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully he gets this up and running and he gets to do more. But go, support him. Let's, let's hear you talking about him, and we'll see you all next time. Take care, everybody. Geekish Cast is a Vias and Victor production and is part of the Astro Panda Productions Network. You can find us now on SoundCloud and on Blog Talk Radio. Our theme music is taken from the song Out to Get Mine by Reign of Zaius. Check them out at reignofzaius.net.